Good morning, guys. We're going to do a little bit of testimony time. So Kelly is going to come up and share a little bit about her and her husband's story and their son Mills and Marley and all that fun stuff. So she's going to come up for us and share. I told Scott, man, I'm like, I'm looking forward to you standing up there. And he was like, I don't think so. And I was like, okay. Kelly will speak for you. Mills? I don't even need a mom. Mills, you want to come up here? No, you're good. <laughs> huh? It should be on. I really don't need it. I mean, um, you got to have it for Facebook it. Live. Okay, okay, They've been okay. yelling at me about that stuff. Okay, we'll get this Apparently, I took my mic off last night and it, or last time, and it was just a whole big mess. Okay. Um, tell you in a few minutes about what it felt like coming to this church. Um, but the first thing that came to mind came to mind more this morning was when the Lord was speaking to me was I lived in Myrtle Beach for ten years because I went to Coastal, that's where I went to college. Um, and that's where I had Marley. Um, that's where she got her tan. Um, she was left hmm. on the beach a little while longer than she should have been. The first time I met Kelly she told me she was adopted. And then I went and met with Marley. I was like, so you're adopted? And she's like, no. I was like, oh, my gosh. No. Um, I do have two beautiful children that are my biological children. I'm very proud of them both. But Marley and I lived in Myrtle Beach for a year and a half. And I fought the Lord. Um, he was calling me back home. I had um, a couple of family members who had been praying for me to come back home. Um, I was driving. It was a long drive. If you've been to Myrtle Beach... Especially back in the day, there was just 501 and really was four lanes um, to get to Myrtle Beach. I worked in Conway, so I had a long drive to get to where I had to pick up Marley at daycare. So the Lord spoke to me that day. My mom was living down there um, in a different house, but she was down there. And the Lord was speaking to me hard, so hard that I had to pull off the road and I cried for a little bit. And... Um, called my sister. I told her, I said, I feel like I'm, I feel like the Lord's beating me up. i got to come home. And uh, she started crying. And she had had Blake and Peyton. Blake and Peyton, I was, I was, I was beating the roads coming back and, back and forth. Um, and I just didn't want to miss them. I didn't want to keep missing them. And I didn't want Marley to miss growing up with Blake and Peyton. I'm sure they regret that now. But, hmm. um, <laughs> but so, called my mom in April, I mean, uh, January was coming, and um, I thought I'll be able to file my taxes. The Lord had everything set up. I didn't realize it, and I'd be able to file my taxes and get back enough money to where I could pay for my mom and I both to have a moving um, van because I didn't make hardly any money. Mm. And we packed one U-Haul um, van full of my belongings and my mom's. And I put Marley in a car seat. And my mom got in her car, and then my uncle and my cousin, they brought all of our stuff back home, and my sister had found me a house, and my mom a house, just like that. It wasn't my sister, though, it was God. Mm -hmm. um, he was setting all those puzzle pieces into place. Now, fast forward, um, Scott and Marley, Mills and myself, we attended um, another church, 
Um, and I'm not going to mention the name because I we didn't leave that church because we were angry or upset. Um, we left that church. We prayed about um, leaving that church, but we had visited here for a few times. And I'm not going to lie. I wanted to know where my daughter was attending and where Peyton and Blake were attending. And I wanted to make sure that um, the word of God was spoken here. Um, I wanted to know that it wasn't just a place that they were going to feel good when they came and they would leave out and continue to live their lives the same. Um, because there's a lot of places like that and I didn't, I was preferring them not to be in a church like that. Uh, so Scott and I came here intending to not like what we heard. Um, and that's the truth. And there are many And we were people, adequate. And there were many people who come into church just for the intent of making somebody else happy. Um, so um, Scott and I, we left, and whew, it was hard. I, he still was kind of didn't want to leave a, his Sunday school class, but I just felt, I felt the calling. I just felt like God was speaking to us. Um, talked to Peyton about it. Um, I don't even know why I asked Marley. I asked Marley would she feel like we were following her um, because I'm wanting, you know, she needs to be an adult and do her thing, but... There was just something that was calling us here. But Scott and I spent tears, I know I shed a lot, a lot of tears, over leaving what we had known for over 15 years. Um, family, that was our family. That was our family. Um, we do things with our family here in Spartanburg, but as far as being really close to people, I mean, we spent Sunday there, we had Sunday night, I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we were there. We were those, we were the one, we were a part of that core group. And we just said, if the Lord's calling us to do it, we're going to do it. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, it's mostly young people, but we felt like the Lord was calling us. Because I told Scott, I said, some of those young folks might not have parents around that need us to love on them. And so we said, this is it. And I told Scott, I said, you know, Christ did a lot of things that were not comfortable. Mm -hmm. He went a lot of places that it wasn't about him being comfortable. Um, and that's why he was so <coughs> criticized by so many. Um, and so we stepped out and, and Scott's quite comfortable about it today because he, he looks like he were about to go on vacation. And, and, it's, and he didn't dress like that before when we went to church. <laughs> but we love it here. But sometimes stepping out and following the Lord is not comfortable. It's not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It is not supposed to be. And I think that's what Ricky wanted me to share is yeah. that um, if you just sit and stay comfortable... You can sit and stay comfortable, mm -hmm. but you're not following the Lord because right. He doesn't intend for us to sit and just stay comfortable. That's right. So, give Kelly and the Lord a big round of applause. I love that story, and I love Kelly and Scott because I texted her yesterday. I want to be back from Florida, and I was like, "Hey, will you, will you call me?" 
And usually if I tell people to call them, they probably get a little scared because they probably think I'm going to ask them to do something. And so she uh, called me, and I was like, hey, will you share a testimony in 12 hours from now? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay, praise God, because that was my only option. Uh, so no, I'm just kidding. But she, I, I love it because she's flexible, and she was like, yeah, I'm w- ready to go. And that's something I know about Kelly and Scott is they're ready to go. And so what I love about that story is Kelly asked me to meet for coffee, and so I met with coffee with her and Scott. And I remember I told Kelly, I was like, hey, don't, don't just come to our church. Like, if you have a church, you stay there. And she was like, but the Holy Spirit's calling me to make a move. And I said, well, that is great because the Holy Spirit's been telling me that he's calling you to make a move. And so it was just this perfect culmination. But when the Holy Spirit tells me that someone needs to make a move, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to pull somebody away from anything. And so I'm not going to be somebody's Holy Spirit for them. Isn't it awesome when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you don't even have to tell somebody it? Because if you trust the Holy Spirit and you have faith in what he says to you, then that person's already going to be aligned with you. Right. The kingdom of God is already aligned in unity. And when I met with Kelly and Scott, they were just like, hey, we're not leaving. We're not coming because you're a good preacher. And I was like, hey, I already know. <laughs> Trust me. She was like, we're coming because the spirit is telling us to do it. And she had te- literally tears in her eyes. And she was like, this is going to be a hard move because 15 years is a long time. But she was like, I see God moving and I want to be a part of it. See, when you see God moving, you got to jump on it. You can't just continue. Because you're comfortable. Right? Y'all feel me? It's real comfortable to just continue to live in what you've always known. And sometimes what we've known is not a true picture of who Christ is. Sometimes what we see is we see all these rules and regulations or all these things that we've been taught. And we begin to worship them. The Bible says that you are zealous for your father's traditions and not the Lord. Think about that for a second. I, I know people who get more excited about barbecues than they do the Lord, right? I know people get more excited about Clemson football than the Lord, and I don't even know how you can get excited about that. I know some people get more excited about baseball than they do the Lord, or whatever the case may be, but the Lord is the most exciting thing. We have to understand, if we continue to live in the traditions of our fathers, all we're doing is saying that we know God and not living for God. We're staying comfortable, right? We're staying comfortable. I've had conversation after conversation with people. And I ask them about their relationships with Jesus. I ask them how they're growing, and they're not. They're simply not growing. They're simply not stretching themselves. It's like Scott and Kelly, like, they're about to get hooked up in discipleship. Kelly said we have a young church. The people who are going to disciple them are going to be younger than them. Right? Right? Yeah, that's, is that, that's uncomfortable. Right, Beth McKee, that's a little bit uncomfortable when you walk in and you're this amazing woman and a 20-year-old's going to disciple you. It's uncomfortable, Beth and Beth, right in a row, right? <laughs> it can be a little bit uncomfortable. But discipleship isn't saying we know more than you. Discipleship is saying we want to grow together with you. Discipleship is saying, I want to come alongside of you, and I want to pour into you, and I want you to pour into me, and I want to encourage you, and I want you to encourage me, and I want to stretch you. I want to be in the Word with you because I care about the Word of God, and I care about prayer, and because I care about those things, I care about you. There's a lot of churches that have gotten comfortable, so we continue to do the same exact things. You guys will notice, I change something up here once a month. I don't want you getting too comfortable. I don't want to move something. You'd be like, why did you move that? Because I don't want you to get comfortable. 
I don't want you to get comfortable. I don't want to preach the same thing every week. I don't want you to hear my idea every week, my fancy little tagline every week. I want you to hear the true, authentic word of Jesus Christ every single week. And that's why we're going through the book of Exodus now. We just went through the book of Genesis. Now we're going to be in Exodus. You guys know what comes after Exodus? Leviticus. You know who's going through Leviticus? Not us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. We're going through Leviticus, just not the whole thing. I'll die. I'll just simply die. So I can't do it. But the, the word in Leviticus is a good word. It helps us understand more of the full picture of who Christ is. See, that's the thing that we forget about when we get comfortable is we forget about the full picture of Jesus. We get comfortable hearing the ideas that somebody has for us and we get about the full picture of Jesus. When we jump around the Bible and don't go through it, we don't see the full context and the full picture of who Christ is. See, so often we take these verses out of context because we haven't experienced the full thing. Right? It's like a cupcake. Some of you eat just the top of a cupcake because it's got all the icing on it. Yeah, some people do it. I don't do it. But yeah, Beth does it. Yeah, Beth enjoys that, right? If you really enjoy icing, you're like, okay, I want all this icing. And so you take it, and that's what you get is all the icing. But a cupcake was meant to be experienced as the full thing, right? Now, this is a, Beth, it's okay that you just eat the top of the cupcake because it, yeah, that, see, complementarianism. But anyways, uh, it, it's this beautiful picture like we experience the fullness of something. If you only follow part of the laws that the police tell you to follow, you're going to go to jail. You got to have the full law, right? You got to have the full picture. And so often when people tell me, well, this verse says this, I'm like, what about the rest of it? When people get hung up on one thing, I'm like, have you read the rest of the Bible? Because when we look at the scripture, we have to look at it through the full scope of Christ. We have to look at things through the full scope of Christ. There's churches who have gotten comfortable preaching one thing. We got churches who preach hell a whole lot. And hell, that's separation from God. That's important. It's something we should preach. But then we got churches who preach a cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. A grace where you can do whatever you want and God is still going to love you. Yeah, he's still going to love you. He's still going to be there for you, but he's still going to be waiting for you to repent, right? He's still going to be waiting for you to come to him. Because cheap grace is no grace at all. Because we have to have the full character of who God is. Oftentimes people have said, well, wrath is in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. And I'm like, what happened? What? So the Old Testament just isn't important? And they're like, no, that's before Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, Kemosabe, you got to slow this train down. Because wrath is fully a part of Christ. Christ is not looking to harm you, but there is a punishment for not following Christ, and that's separation from the Lord. And we don't want to be separated from the Lord. You know why I don't want to be separated from the Lord? Not because I don't want to go to hell, but because I want to be with my Lord. I can't experience living a life without Jesus. People often talk about, I can't wait to get to heaven. Man, I don't got to be in heaven. I got the Holy Spirit right now. I'm good to go. I got Jesus with me every day. I heard people say, Jesus is my co-pilot. Yeah, he's probably not your co-pilot because that means you're taking the authority away from him. But he's with me every day. There's some old hymns. I think, I am a friend of God. 
Have you guys ever heard of that? I used to hate to sing that song. Because it, 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 the church that I was in, it was just like, what does it mean to be a friend of God? What, what does that mean? Does that mean like me and Jesus go drinking together? Like, what, what's that mean? See, it's before I knew the full scope of who Jesus was. I was like, what does it mean to be a friend of God? And then I, re- I was reading that hymn, and basically what it's saying is that Jesus is close to you. He walks with you. He's there for you. He wants to be a part of you, which that hymn is a part of discipleship. That's what he did with his 12 disciples. So we have to understand, Jesus is going to call us to do uncomfortable things. You know who else he called to do uncomfortable things? The Israelites. We heard about Joseph last week, and we were talking about Joseph and how he was sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, put in prison, sexually abused almost, like all of these things. And then Joseph goes to a position where he saves all of the Israelites through the sovereignty of God. How beautiful is that? He went through uncomfortable things so that God could put him in a place where he could be used. And in the, the, those last verses in Genesis chapter 50, it said, What you intended for evil, God has used for good for the saving of many lives. God's sovereignty, which is the, God's ability to work all things together for His good, for His glory, covers all things. I've often heard people say, well, I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. If you're that big that you can alter the plan of God, then we need to talk. Because I want to hear more about that. Right? I, I want to hear about how you're going to ruin God's plan for you. You can't ruin God's plan for you. Everything that you do was God already knew. That's what it means to be omniscient. God loves you. God took Joseph to Egypt for a purpose. A purpose so that he could fulfill his promise. Because if Joseph wouldn't have been in Egypt, the Israelites would have died out. Remember, seven years of famine, then seven years of plenty. After that seven years of plenty, though, I'm pretty sure the Israelites were supposed to leave. But the Israelites got comfortable. They got comfortable with the fine wine. They got comfortable with a pharaoh. They got comfortable looking at the Nile River, right? They got comfortable with all of these things, and they begin to get comfortable with the culture. Man, that's powerful. It's easy to get comfortable with the culture, am I right? It's easy to get comfortable with what everybody tells you, and you forget about what you believe because you want to be accepted by everybody else. Now, some of you might be misunderstanding what I'm saying here. You might be misunderstanding what I'm saying. It's easy to get comfortable with the culture and accept everything that everybody says. And when accepting that, you're, saying, you're validating it and you're saying, yes, that's what I believe. No, that's not what you believe. What if what you believe is contrary to them? Are you willing to be uncomfortable and speak truth to them so that they can see the full picture of who Jesus is? Now, I want you to understand, because some of you I know in your mind are already thinking, they're thinking, man, this guy's talking about homosexuality, or this guy's talking about transgenders, or this guy's talking about some hot topic. No, I'm not. I'm talking about living a life where you show people love. Because we got to love homosexuals. we got to be there with them and walk with them and show them the full character of Christ. You can't just discredit somebody because of their sin. You know what I want to do if you do that? I'm going to put up a mirror and I'll be like, look at you. What were you doing last night? What do you do when there's no eyes around? I'll tell you what, you sin because we all sin because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when we get comfortable with our sin, you know what happens? We get into more sin. There's a a paraplegic in the book of John, and the paraplegic is waiting by the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus comes up to him, and he's like, hey, do you want to get well? 
Okay, he's a paraplegic. Obviously, he wants to get well, Jesus. Right? And the man looks at him, and he's like, I want to get in the pool. But every time I try to get in that pool, someone comes and pushes me along. You see, instantly. This dude's looking at his own needs, and this dude's looking at what something can do for him instead of the king of kings standing before him, asking him if he wants to be healed so that he can be healed in all ways. See, he's so short-sighted on what's in front of him that he forgets about the full picture, right? This is in front of him. Yeah, I want to get well, Jesus. I just got to get in that pool. Then Jesus says, be healed, right? And pick up your mat and walk. Now, it was the Sabbath, so the Pharisees and Sadducees got a little bit touchy about that. Because the Sabbath was that day where you weren't really allowed to do anything. Even though that's not exactly what God meant, but we'll let them believe what they want to believe. And so, he's wandering, and uh, the, Sadducees, the Pharisees see him, and they're like, hey, why are you picking up your mat? It's the Sabbath. Put that thing down. And he's like, but this dude just healed me. He, tell, he told me to pick up my mat and walk. And he's like, who did it? And he's like, I don't know his name. He just healed me. And they call on his parents. And his parents are like, is this your son? And they're like, he's an adult. He can answer for himself. Because they were scared to get kicked out of the synagogue, is what the scripture says. And then the man says to the Pharisees, he's like, are you, why are you guys so interested in him? Do you want to be one of his disciples too? And then they get real mad. And they kick him out. Then later on, Jesus is in the temple and this man walks in and he sees Jesus. He's like, you're the one who's healed me. He's like, I am the one who's healed you. Now go on and sin no more so that something worse may not happen to you. What does that verse mean? Go on and sin no more? Is this man going to be perfect from here on out? Is this man going to be perfect? Is he, is he going to get hurt if he makes a mistake? No, the full character of God, the full personality of God teaches us that what Christ was speaking to him is when we get comfortable in our sin, when we continue to sin, that leads to more sin and more sin and more sin and more sin. And is what happens is we become so far from God because we begin to worship our sin. See, we can't get comfortable See, Jesus wants something great for us. He wants healing for us. Exodus chapter 1. Let's just start in verse 1. How does that sound? Okay, how, how does that sound? Okay, Kelly. Kelly's ready. Is everybody else? Ex- Exodus is the second book, by the way. Genesis, Exodus. So it's easy to find. Okay? Genesis, Exodus. It's even in alphabetical order. I was seeing if you guys would catch that, but guess what? Nobody did. And it took you guys a long time to finally catch it. Something is wrong today. There's coffee in the back. It would be okay. Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, the descendants of Jacob, numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and the, and the, and the, ah, Joseph and all of his brothers and that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. You guys know where that comes from? When Jesus created Adam and Eve, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said, the people of the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. 
and they built Pithom and Ramses as door cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar with all kinds of works in the field and all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, those names were Shapira and Pua. When, are you, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not want the king of Egypt, did not, want, do, did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. When Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw in the Nile, but every girl live. So what's happening in here is Joseph and his family has passed away. They've, but the, the Israelites have remained in Egypt. And a new Pharaoh comes into power, one that, meant that Joseph didn't remember Joseph, didn't remember how Joseph had literally saved the region of the world by interpreting the dreams from God and storing up food. And so a new Pharaoh comes into power. And this Pharaoh has no respect for the Israelites because all that he sees is that they are becoming too big. Now, if we remember back in Genesis with Abraham, God said, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sand. And so what's happening here is God's promise is being fulfilled. The Israelites are multiplying. There's becoming more of them. They're everywhere now. And the the Egyptians and the Pharaoh become scared of this because he doesn't want them to turn on them. So what he does is he pushes them and forces them into labor, makes them build and makes them slaves. And then he goes another step further, and he says, there's got to be less of these, so we need to kill all the boys so that they can't make more Israelites. And the midwives, it says that they fear God. It's that they had reverence for God. They knew the call of God. They knew the promises of God. And so they knew that doing this would be murder, would be sending the promise that God had said. It would be distorting that. And so they don't kill the children. And they say that the Hebrew women are vigorous. They give birth before they even get there. Shoo. That would be crazy, right? Like if you're like if your birth likes 10 minutes, like that'd be amazing, women, am I right? Yeah. Instead, it's 73 hours. Too bad you're not Hebrew. So, anyways, uh, But they say, no, we're not going to do it. And God sees that they have reverence for him, that they respect him, that they love him. And so he even blesses the midwives with families. And it says that the Israelites continue to multiply. They continue to get bigger. And you know what the Egyptians do? They continue to get scared. They continue to get fearful. Because when God's moving in your life, the world is going to do everything that it can to to make you in your place to stop the movement so that you are discouraged even though God is moving in a miraculous way. Because the world hates when God moves. Because when God moves, you have to submit to God. See, that's why the world doesn't want God. is because they don't want to submit their lives to God. 
They don't want to submit to authority. Now, there's a couple reasons why people do that. Number one, because people believe that God is an angry God who wants to hurt them. Number two, that people believe that God is all about following rules. That you can only do these things if you follow God. That you can't do this, you can't do that. Number three, both of these rooted in this is pride. We don't want to submit to nothing. Right? Because we're Americans. We're not going to submit to nothing. We do what we want. Nobody's going to come on my land, right? You all know what I'm talking about. So we don't like to submit in what God calls us to do. The only thing that he calls us to do is submit. But we have to understand that God is a God that we can submit to because in submitting to him, he's not looking for what we can do for him. He's looking for the adoration and the reverence for him. See, when we come before God, just like the Israelites right here, he's fulfilling the promise that he gave to them. He's fulfilling the promise that he gave to them. He's multiplying them. He's growing them. He's showing them. He's preparing them for something great in the future. And the Egyptians are just trying to shut it down. But I'll tell you one thing. No matter how majorly God is moving and no matter how big something is, something cannot shut a movement of God down. You can't miss out on what God has for you. And you're not big enough to ruin his plan. So the Israelites are here. They're becoming comfortable. The Pharaoh sees it. He makes them Forces them into labor. Now, why didn't the Egyptian, why didn't the Israelites just leave? Because they were comfortable. See, remember Joseph. Joseph said, there'll be seven years of nothing, then seven years of plenty. But the Egyptians got comfortable. And they stayed. They said, Well, I can I can do this. Well, there's a whole lot of false God worship here, but that's okay. We're comfortable. We got our land. We got the things that we need. There's good wine here. There's good food here. We can, we can stay here. We can remain in Egypt. We can do this. See, they stay too long, and what happens is they become a part of the culture. They begin to follow the culture. They begin to follow the false gods, and they forget about their God, the God who had cared for them. The God who was fulfilling, fulfilling promises to them. The God who was carrying out a miraculous movement for them. They choose to remain where all this false worship is happening. And they choose to remain in this culture. And so they, because of that, the Pharaoh sees that. They see God's promise being fulfilled. And he says, we got to do something about this. So he forces them into labor. See, sometimes God wants to do something so miraculous in our life. But we're so set on what we want. We're so set on what we want to be. We're so set on where we want to be that God does everything that he can, but he can't do everything that he wants until you submit. He uses you. He works in you. But sometimes he's calling you to something bigger than you ever thought was possible. Sometimes he wants to do something so miraculous inside of you, but you're too comfortable. Sometimes he wants to change you, but you're too comfortable. And you're like, well, I don't need changing. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing just fine. We can have the appearance that we're doing just fine. We can force ourselves to act like we're just fine. We can keep tricking ourselves into thinking, oh, we're just fine. But you know in reality inside of you, you have something searching for something bigger than you. 
That's that little thing inside of you that every time you receive something great, you want more. That's that little thing inside of you that you want a new adventure or you want new change. That's that little thing inside of you that every time uh, you see something that somebody else has, you want it. See, that's not that you actually want that. It's just that you got a hole inside of you that can, that can only be filled by the Holy Spirit, the Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for you. That's your soul searching for completeness. That's your soul searching for completeness. When you see all these things and you try to fill it, you try to say, well, this is what I need. This, this is finally what's going to bring it together. Some of you are single up in here, and you're just like, if I find that person, it's going to bring it all together, and I'm going to grow, and everything's going to be perfect. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get that person. You're going to be like, I hate this person. And then you're going to be a couple years down the road, you're going to be like, you know what I need? A new person. I've fallen out of love with this person. I need a new one. Haven't you seen them shiny models at the beach? It's time to get me a new one, right? Like mine's doing okay, but he don't take me out no more. Mine's doing okay, but he doesn't whisper sweet nothings in my ear no more. There's a guy at the office. He treats me like I'm the queen of Egypt, right? And this isn't just women. This is men too, so I can say all these things on the opposite. So don't think that I'm being sexist because I'm not. But what we do is begin to search for something else because we think that something fulfills us. But there's, you need to hear me right now. Nothing's going to fulfill you except for Christ. Nothing can fulfill you except for Christ. You'll never have enough money to fulfill you. You'll never have a nice enough car to fulfill you. You'll never have a nice enough house or a great enough husband or a great enough wife to fulfill you. Those will be things that will... Be part of the plan of God, but until you receive God, you can't be fulfilled. And you can keep searching, you can keep wondering, and you can keep drinking yourself to death to forget about the searching that you don't want to think about. Or you can keep filling yourself with pornography so that you can forget about what you're searching for. Or you can fill yourself with drugs, you can fill yourself with people saying nice things to you, you can fill yourself with compliments on Instagram or likes or whatever the case may be, just so that you can feel validated, just so that you can feel okay. But I promise you, until you see that Christ is the only thing that will fulfill you, you'll continue to search and continue to be miserable. And I already know someone's going to come up to me today and be like, I'm doing just fine. And I'm going to be like, sit down with me for five minutes, and I'll show you why you're not just fine. Because you'll finally, for the first time, sit face to face with somebody, and they'll care about you. And you'll see that you're not doing just fine. Because we've tricked ourselves into thinking that comfortability is where we're supposed to be. I've heard people say this, well, I have all these things, why am I unhappy? I have a good job, why am I unhappy? I have great kids, why am I unhappy? Have a great wife, why am I unhappy? Have a great car, why am I unhappy? You're just, and you, I hear him saying, I just, I just feel like there's something more. Yes, there's something more. You see, you see that story? All that comfortability is trying to distract you from the Lord. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do, is be so busy and so distracted that you forget that Christ is the only way of fulfillment. And then another thing that he wants to do, he wants to trick you. Because we're stupid. He wants us to make us think that we got Jesus. And all we got to do is follow the rules of Jesus. 
All we got to do is go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, youth retreat, revival, uh, what else, VBS, potluck, revival on the river, help at the soup kitchen. Like, he wants us to think that all these things are our salvation. Those things are not your salvation. Your salvation is contained in Christ and His cross. Your salvation is contained in submission to the Lord. Your salvation is contained in when you submit yourself to God, not in what you can do for God. Now when we begin to follow God and we submit to God, we see things happen inside of us. We see works produced from us. We see fruit produced, not because we have to, but because our life has been changed in such a way, we want to show people the way that our life has been changed. Y'all feel me on that? And you don't have to be a pastor to love people. You don't have to be a pastor to show people how your lives have been changed. You can do it. We become so comfortable that we become comfortable in letting other people be separated from God. Y'all feel that? Y'all know that? Y'all, I experience that. I walk by people all the time without loving them well. And I walk people by all the time when I can see that they're having a bad day. And I walk by people and I don't love the people because I'm too caught up in my comfortability. I got to get in the grocery store. I got to get this and I got to get home as quickly as I can. Why do I got to get home as quickly as I can? All I'm going to do is sit there and watch TV. And there, and there was the silence. See, because your comfortableness is more important than people. You can tell me you care about people and you want to do good things for people. Uh, I know an atheist. He's a good dude. And I was talking to him a couple weeks ago. And he was like, why doesn't God come and save children who are being hurt? He's like, well, let me ask you this. No, he said this. He said, why doesn't God come and save people who children are being hurt? He's like, I would do something. And I looked at him. I was like, how many children have you saved? How many children have you saved? you got a problem that God doesn't do it, but in reality, God sends us to do it. We're, Jesus refers to himself as, as, to us as the church, as his bride for a reason, because he's given us the ability through the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world. But we're so busy in our comfortability, we forget about making a difference. We forget that God did send somebody to do it. You know who he sent? You. You know who's too busy to do it? You. You know who's too busy to do it? Me. Because I get so caught up in all this, I forget about Jesus. But you know what I can do? I can go to church on Sunday morning. I can go to church on Sunday morning and feel real good. But then during the week, man, I fulfilled it, God. I don't got to help these people. God, I don't got to do that. I don't got to pray for this person. I don't got to look at the person at work who just lost somebody and tell them that I love them and that the Lord loves them. That will be weird. It'll be too weird. They don't want that. They don't want someone coming up and getting in their business. No, you just don't want to get uncomfortable. You just don't want to get uncomfortable. And what you're going to continue to do is what continues to happen to the Israelites right here. They stay comfortable, so they stay in slavery. See, we're, we're comfortable in slavery. If we have someone telling us what to do, we're happy about it. We're comfortable being in slavery. 
I've told you guys the allegory of the cave before. It's an allegory by Plato, and basically the allegory is this. What if there was a cave? And inside that cave, there was people who were born inside the cave. They've never seen the light of day, but they've always lived inside of the cave. And all that they do all day long is that there's this fire, and then this fire is these shadow puppets, and they watch these shadow puppets on the wall. And all day they watch the shadow puppets on the wall. But then one day one of them gets up, and he sees a small light, so he begins to walk toward it. And he gets bigger light, bigger light, bigger light. Then he gets to the edge of the cave. And he takes a step out, and he steps on a rock. And then the sun hits his eyes, and it hurts his eyes. And then he sees these massive trees that he thinks are giants. You know what he does is he runs back in the cave. You know what he does then? He sits back down and watches the shadow puppets. Because he was comfortable. He could have had freedom, but he chose slavery. See, we choose slavery every single day. We want to remain in slavery because slavery is comfortable. We want to remain as captives because captives are comfortable. The Israelites, I bet they were saying, it's okay. We can do a little bit more work. We're comfortable. It's okay. He's just taking care of us. We're we're comfortable. It'll get better. It'll be fine. It's going to get better. Be okay. So somebody else will get that person who needs to know the Lord. Like, my pastor will go do it. Or this person will do it. I'm just not the person. We don't get along. Somebody else will get them. Somebody else will take care of them. They'll make it happen. Or some, some of us just like yell Jesus in the air and we're like, I spread a seed. It's all good. Right? We go up to him and we're like, quick, fire, like Jesus, and then run. Right? We're like, I, I spread it. I, I dropped a seed. It's all good. See, our comfortability is what will keep us in slavery. Our comfortability is what will keep us from seeing the miraculous movement of God that he wants to do inside of us. If you're worried about the country, if you're worried about the world, you know what can heal it? Jesus. You know what can heal it? Jesus. All throughout history, what we've seen is that Jesus heals, Jesus moves, and Jesus sets free the captives. If you want to see captives set free, if you want to see the world change, then it starts with you. It starts with you getting up. It starts with you saying, I'm tired of just being comfortable. Think about the Israelites. The Israelites were here because there was nourishment. But once the nourishment was gone, they were too comfortable to go and seek the real nourishment. Right? The nourishment was right in front of them. So even though God had a different nourishment for them, even though God wanted something for them, they continued to be nourished in a place where it was falseness, where there was false gods, where there was false worship, where there was a false way of everybody, and they didn't want to get up and seek the nourishment that God had called them to from the very beginning. Because if you'll remember, God saved to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. That land was not Egypt. That land was Canaan. And they had to know that if they continued to live in Egypt, they weren't going to be able to, God was not going to fulfill the promise that he promised to them. They had to get up and leave. They had to get uncomfortable. They had to go to the land that God had called them to. God protected them by taking them to Egypt. But Egypt was just a quick stop. And then it was time to go. Then it was time to go and to take the land. Then it was time to go and see this miraculous movement of God. Then it was time to go. Then it was time to move. Then it was time for us to quit sitting and being comfortable. 
I've been reading a biography. I told you guys a little bit about it last week about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In that, bi- in that biography, there's a pastor from Germany. And the pastor from Germany was all cool with Hitler. He's like, they're trying to do good. See, th- you may have never heard that, but most of the people in Germany thought that Hitler was trying to do good because he was really deceptive. And he slowly took power a little bit at a time. And this pastor was on the side of him. And one day, this pastor signed something called the Aryan Paragraph. And in the the, the Aryan Paragraph, it said that no pastor could be someone who was Jewish, even if they were a Christian Jew. And that all Jewish people had to be removed from the church and couldn't receive membership any longer. And he signed it. Why did he sign it? Because he was comfortable knowing that something good was going to happen in Germany. And he signed it. And later on, he got put in a concentration camp. You, know, you want to know why he got put in a concentration camp? For no reason. Except that he was a pastor. He was close to Hitler, and then Hitler got a little mad. Threw him in a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, he wrote this. And this, these are famous words, and I'm just paraphrasing. But he said, when they, come, when they came for the socialists, I did nothing. When they came for the socialists, I did nothing. When they came for the Jews, I did nothing. I didn't do anything. When they went for Austria, I did nothing. But when they came for me, there was no one left to help me. See, it wasn't until they came for him that he cared. But because he had let them get everybody else, there was nobody there to love him. There was nobody there to fight for him. You want to see a miraculous movement of God, then start to fight for the people who are outcast in our society. Start to fight for the people who are marginalized in our society. Because you might think, oh, they're never going to come for me. And what am I talking about when I say they're never going to come for me? I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about Satan. I'm talking about the way that he wants to prowl you down. The Bible says that Satan is a prowling lion, that he's waiting to devour you, right? That he's waiting to devour you. Hey, I'm not worried about the government. I'm worried about Satan coming after you and nobody being there to help you because you've never helped anybody. And then it's just us because they thought they would never come for us. Now, this is some weird conspiracy theory where I'm like, oh, they're going to they're going to get the church. Like, that's what they're. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us loving people because there's a world of people who need to be loved. And we're over here sitting comfortably because we don't want to get up. and We don't want to move. Churches are content sitting on their bank accounts with millions of dollars up in them. I said millions. What's a nonprofit? I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm distracted here. But anyways, they're comfortable sitting on their bank accounts with millions of dollars in their big buildings and their big building plans. Let's build a bigger building. Let's build an indoor playground because that's what kids need in our church. Let's build a swimming pool at our church. That'd be a good idea. Then we'll have a place where people can swim. But only our church members. We don't want nothing hooligans messing it up, right? What are we doing as the church when more money goes into our buildings than it does our community? We're failing. We're becoming comfortable. We're looking to make us comfortable instead of looking to love people. You know what Jesus would do with that? He would destroy it. 
I remember Jesus going into a temple and there being money changers. And the reason that he didn't get mad wasn't because the money changers. He got righteous anger because they were selling things to sacrifice. And they could just be comfortable and walk up and grab a sacrifice, throw it in the uh, fire, then walk right out the door. They didn't have to go and sacrifice something that meant something to them. They didn't have to go and find the thing to sacrifice. They could just pick it up, throw it in the fire, and walk out. And their sin didn't leave an effect on them. It was just something, okay, I did this now I'm good no that's not what following Jesus is about you can't just do something and then you're good you can follow him and submit to him and then he'll change you and you'll be saved you'll be able to enter into a relationship with him but you can't just say okay now all I got to do is go to church no that's not how that works you got to love God and love other people I'm pretty sure that's what the Bible says John chapter 15 says I am the vine and you are the branches You are connected to me. You are nourished by me. Continue to find the nourishment in me and not in everything else around you. John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What does it mean to keep the commands? A lot of people think that this means, well, I better not tell a lie. Better not murder. Yeah, don't murder, but yeah, don't murder. Better not murder. Better watch how many drinks I have because if I drink, I'm going to hell. No. Better not do this, or I better keep my eyes away from everything. Like, no. Jesus said, if you'll love me, you'll keep my commands. And later on in, the cha- in John chapter 14, he says, and this is fulfilled through loving God and loving other people. Another time, a Pharisee comes to him and he says, hey, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And he says, well, keep my commands. And the guy's like, man, I'm good at that. I've done it. I haven't murdered nobody today. I'm doing a really good job. I didn't tell a lie today. I've done those since I was a baby. See, Jesus is speaking to him, and so he's calling out his arrogance is what he's doing. Because you can't keep the commands of God. You can't do it. You can't not tell a lie. You probably told a lie on your way here. You're probably telling a lie in your head right now. You're like, man, I don't want to go to Grandma's house for lunch. I don't like Grandma. She's mean. She forces me to eat like 15 cakes because she's a food pusher, right? You're like, i got to think of a lie so that I can get out of this. Maybe my stomach is hurting, right? So you can't keep the commands of God. And when Jesus is speaking to him, he says, well, okay, we'll do this. Sell all of your possessions and follow me. And what's the man, what's it say? It said the man has many possessions, so he walked away. He had great wealth. Why did Jesus say, did Jesus want him to sell all his possessions? Jesus could care less about him selling all his possessions. But what he was doing was trying to speak to the man, hey, you're so caught up in what you can do in your own pride and your own authority that you're forgetting to submit to me. And when you submit to me, you might have to sell everything that you have, but I'm going to give you something greater than you ever had. You might, you might be comfortable right here, but if you follow me, I'll take you to a land and I'll show you something more. I'll show you something greater. I'll show you something that you can have if you just submit instead of relying on your own authority and pride and comfortability to continue to bring you peace. Because we all know you ain't got any peace anyways. Jesus also said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The greatest command is to love the, love your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. We've got to love God and we've got to love other people. The Israelites got comfortable in the book of Exodus. They got comfortable with everything that was happening around them. They got so comfortable, they started to worship the same gods as the Egyptians. Man, I, I've heard people say, well, it doesn't matter what religion we are. We all worship the same God. 
whoa, slow down. Maybe it doesn't matter what denomination we are as long as they worship Jesus. But I'll tell you one thing right now. Everybody does not worship the same God. I do not worship a God that wants me to do things to be accepted by him. Right? That's not our God. Some of you might be misunderstanding and think that God wants you to do things so that you can be loved. And let me tell you right now, you're dead wrong. God isn't looking for you to do anything. He did everything for you. You remember that dude that he sent Jesus? You guys have heard about Jesus. Remember, Jesus was this guy who came from heaven, fully human, fully God, lived a perfect life, abused, beaten, ridiculed, mocked, then taken and nailed to a cross and died on that cross so that he could take the full full exposure of your sin, the full weight of your sin, the full weight of your disobedience, and then he died on that cross. Then three days later, he resurrected right? That God did all that for you so that you didn't have to do anything except for submit to him. You're already submitting to everything else. Why can't we submit to God? We already submit to everything else. Why can't we submit to God? We already submit to the things that bring us temporary pleasure. Why can't we submit to the thing that brings us everlasting glory, everlasting righteousness, everlasting completeness? Why can't we submit to that? I'll tell you why. Because you're so caught up in our own pride that we forget that submitting to a God is not submitting to forced labor. Submitting to God is submitting to His glory. His love. He loves you. He desires you. The reason that I'm challenging you to go and love other people is because you've already received it. Now there's so many people who need to receive what you've already received. You've got an amazing gift. If somebody was dying in the desert and you had two gallons of water, would you share with them? The answer is no. You wouldn't. You'd be like, I got two gallons of water. I'm in the desert. There's no water for, you see that guy dying over there. I bet he shared his water with somebody. That's why he ain't got no water. Right? Your pride would keep you back from doing that. But if you had a relationship with Jesus, if you had faith in a God, you'd say, man, I got to share this with him. I got to give him some of this. I got to give him some of this water because I know that God will protect me. I know that God will fulfill something greater. I know that God will take care of me. But this man might not have someone like God to take care of him because he's too prideful to submit to authority. But maybe if I share my water with him, maybe he'll see how good God is because he'll see that he lives inside of me. And because he lives inside of me, he'll be fulfilled and he'll see someone actually care about him. And then he'll have a relationship with Jesus. And we can walk this desert together. And then we can go and we can find others with that water and we can give them water. We don't have the water right now, but if we continue to walk, God will provide the water. The Israelites, when they left, when they finally left captivity because God had to send a man to take them out of captivity because they finally cried out to God. When God sends that man, he takes them out of captivity. You know where he takes them from captivity to? The desert. I'd be like, God, come on, man. I was just in slavery. Now I'm in the desert. This is not better. Some of them are like, hey, let's go back to Egypt. That slavery wasn't that bad. At least we had food and water, right? And we'll, we'll look at this in a little bit more detail. But what does God do when they're in the desert? I'll tell you what he does. He provides for them. One time they ain't got no water. 
You know what Moses does? He takes a stick and he hits a rock. You know what happens? Water. One time they ain't got no food. And they're like, man, we need some food to eat. We're hungry. The Bobby's not here. We need some wangs, right? Like that's what Bobby always says. If you don't know Bobby, you need to get to know him. But anyways, what are we going to eat? We're starving out here. Then God sends quail and manna. And he provides for them. So you might be worried about how you're going to do it. How can you love somebody? Hey, don't worry about how you're going to do it. Have faith in God to provide for you for your mission. Have God. Let God provide for your mission. When you're wandering in a desert with no water, and you see someone who needs water, you give them your last bit. Because God's going to take care of you. God's going to provide for you. You have a relationship with him. Show people your sacrifice so that they can see that you serve a God who cares for you. That's why you don't serve the same God as everybody else. That's why we all don't serve the same God. Because in every other religion, they're trying to please that deity. In our religion, in our relationship, God has pleased us by giving us his son so that we can receive eternal life. Right? So that we can receive the Holy Spirit so that we can receive love, so that we won't be eternally separated from Him. It's not about heaven and hell. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Now, hell's a real place. Heaven's a real place. And I can't wait to get to heaven, but I'm not waiting and just sitting here and be like, oh, doo doo when's heaven coming? Like, I'm looking at the people, and I'm saying the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's what Jesus said. Y'all remember that? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, because we got too many people who are comfortable and don't want to pick up a plow. Some of you don't even got to pick up a wall. Pile, you could pick up a pair of scissors and just go like, man, you don't got to do anything. You could just go and glean some of it, right? You could just pick it up with your hand. You don't even got to do the hard work. Some people are just asking for Jesus. Some people are like, when's someone going to tell me about Jesus? Like, I've just been sitting here waiting for someone to tell me about Jesus. Nobody's come. I can't go to church because nobody invited me. I don't know about holy water. I don't know if I can bust into flames when I walk in. Like, I can't go in there. I need someone to come tell me about Jesus. You got people in your life like that who want the Lord so much. Hey, quit, quit, quit letting this keep you back from Jesus. Quit letting bad experiences with churches keep you back from Jesus. Hey, they might not even be a church. They just might be a social club. You might got the problem with the wrong thing, right? Don't get so caught up in what you've been taught. If you, want, if you want to learn who Jesus is, read the Bible. He'll teach you. You want to see the full character of God, read the Bible. He'll teach you. I didn't grow up in church. So I have different views because I actually read the Bible. <laughs> I didn't just have some guy telling me what this said, telling me his opinions on what this says. I read it. I learned it. I devoured it. And I found out the full character of God. I didn't get hung up on the rules and the regulations, because that's what, not what Jesus was about. I got hung up on the love that he had for me, the provision that he wanted for me, that he wanted to walk me through a desert. And then he called me to do the really hard thing. He called me to walk other people through the desert. And I said, God, not a very good leader. And he said, don't worry, you're not right now, but I'll make you into one. And now I'm the best leader. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> He said, don't worry about it, I'll make you into one. 
was talking to Barry a few weeks ago, and Barry was like, the first time I came to church service, he's like, it felt like it was just like, boom. Like you were screaming. I was screaming today too. But he was like, you were screaming, and you were doing this, and everything was just boom, 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 boom. And he's like, then there's been this progression. I'm growing too, guys. I'm not the best. I'm no Don Wilton, I know. Maybe I'll get there. I just need an accent. I'm pretty good, and I'm super good looking. So worst case scenario, you just come and look at me. And you're like, man, I can do this, right? He's easy. No, I'm just kidding. So anyways, um, we have to understand that I'm growing, you're growing, we're all growing. I don't want you to leave this sermon today and be like, man, I'm such a bad person. I want you to leave this sermon today and be like, I can do that. I can love people. I have the water, now I just got to give them the water. I have everything ready. He's given me the plan. He's given me the mission. He's given me a mouth. I can articulate that I, how I came into relationship with Jesus. That's all you got to do. You just got to show people how Jesus changed your life. Don't be worried about the word sanctification. Don't be worried about revelation. Be worried about sharing with how Jesus had changed your life through his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's what you got to be worried about. And you can do that because you've entered into a relationship with Jesus. You can do that because you've been loved by a father who loves you. You can do do that because you've been discipled, because you've been poured into, because you have all the ability in the world to change the lives of people through the power of Jesus Christ. Do you have the ability? Oh, Lord. Do you have the ability? Do you have the power inside of you? That power is called the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to see people's lives changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ? I won. Out of a thousand. Are you guys ready? Oh, Lordy. I love you guys. I'm thankful for you guys. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your life. I'm excited to see the power of Christ compel you. You have been saved through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You've been given a relationship through that. It's not about what you can do for him. It's about what he did for you. You can love people in a mighty and a powerful way. Let's go and let's set people free from captivity. Let's go and let's show people how we've been set free from captivity. Let's go and show people that comfortability is not what we need. What we need is Christ, and what we need is his love. What we need is his fulfillment. What we need is to show others how we've submitted to the power and the authority of Christ. And when we do that, he changes us. He loves us. And no longer do I need to be fulfilled by the external because I've been fulfilled internally. No longer am I searching for the next big thing because I've already received the biggest thing. Will you all bow your heads with me and close your eyes?